This is Filmy Girls Idolcast. Hit it. Dream. 
And that was Arashi with a live performance of their debut single, Arashi, from the 2006 Asia Song Festival held in Seoul, Korea. When Arashi debuted in 1999, nobody could have predicted that the five gawky teens dressed in the now legendarily hideous see-through vinyl costumes were going to become the biggest thing in Japanese show business since SMAP. But, well, here we are 20 years later. So what was happening in Japan as DBSK, Super Junior, and SM Entertainment were battling it out in court? Well, let's rewind one more time back to 2007. If you remember back at the end of episode 5, we left Arashi poised on the brink of a big breakthrough. Thanks to their long years of slogging along in the basement of the Japanese entertainment industry, as 2007 rolled around, the members were now all seasoned professionals, despite still being fairly young. The second season of Matsumoto Jun's blockbuster drama, Haniori Dango, aired in the beginning of 2007, and it was even more successful than the first season. The theme song, a floaty mid-tempo ballad called Love So Sweet, again performed by Arashi, ended up being the number four single of the year in Japan with about half a million copies sold. Their biggest seller by far since their debut single eight years previous. But they couldn't rest just yet. There was every chance that this was just a Hanayori Dango bubble, that the women who fell from Matsumoto's thundery Domiyoji character would drift away once they found another drama to watch. <laughs> singles Arashi released later that year, the perky We Can Make It, and the even more perky Happiness, both personal favorites of mine, sold about the same as Arashi always had. And then in 2008, nine years after their debut, Arashi got their first variety show in primetime television. Matsumoto starred in the Hanayori Dango film, and both Ono and Ninomiya also had leading roles in popular dramas. Their sales numbers started growing. People were beginning to know who they were. Arashi's single Truth, released August 20th, 2008, a swirly orchestral electropop number, was also the theme song to Ono's drama Mao, in which he plays an angsty serial killer who falls in love with a psychic librarian. Yeah. <laughs> it sold almost three times as many copies as the Sunshiny We Can Make It released the year before. And this was despite it being released on the heels of a minor scandal involving Ono allegedly smoking weed and allegedly having a threesome. Arashi, we're gonna make it. But it would be 2009 that really cemented their status. Arashi went all out for their 10th anniversary, putting out a greatest hits package that would be their first, but definitely not their last, million-selling album. 
and staging an incredible concert at the 50,000 capacity National Stadium in Tokyo on August 28th, 29th, and 30th, 2009. That included water features and a live orchestra. And then on December 31st, 2009, Arashi would close out their decade triumphant, finally making their debut at the prestigious Kohaku Utagasen. Coincidentally, the same show at which DBSK would perform as a five-member group for the final time. It had taken them 10 years, but with hard work, determination, and some luck, Arashi had made it to the top. Arashi are the textbook example of the good things that can happen if a production company gives a group time to grow and develop rather than racing to put out as much content as possible before youth fades. Of course, for that to be a successful strategy, there does have to be something there to start with. A creative spark among the members. Somebody with a vision. Luckily, Arashi had just that, and we'll get to him a bit later. So the next song I'm going to play remains one of my favorite Arashi singles of this period and is a good indicator of the direction Arashi sound would take moving into the 2010s. You can still hear the famous Johnny's Unison singing, but Arashi and their producers have figured out how to best showcase their voices, even the less good ones. Early songs relied almost exclusively on Ono's vocals combined with Sho's rapping. Now we hear Nino's emotive vibrato, Aiba's husky tenor, and Jun's strong nasal tones in all their glory. Arashi may not be directly involved in the writing and production of most of their music, but they do care about the quality and style of the music, and have certainly had a hand in creating a signature Arashi house style, flexible enough to adapt to trends, but always distinctive. Arashi don't make garbage throwaway bubblegum. Their lyrics are positive, backing tracks rhythmically interesting and well-produced. Voices are never buried. Most importantly though, their songs are incredibly fun to sing along to. Okay, so the song I'm going to play next is called Believe, and it was written by the mysterious 100 Plus, a former rock guitarist turned songwriter who actually wrote quite a few of Arashi's best love songs of this period. And the chorus goes like this. So, yeah, we'll be facing forward and we'll keep going forever. We'll continue down this road no matter where it goes. The dream we've held in our hearts all this time will definitely come true. Laughing and crying will keep on moving. Bye. 
you can see that the group members really make their way all around even the largest of venues by utilizing various moving stages and walkways. They also make good use of fans' pen lights, leading the crowd in a variety of choreographies that make the venue undulate and sparkle like a rainbow-colored ocean. And I think that their engaging concert production, even in the largest of venues, are one of the reasons for their sustained popularity. Even the woman in the farthest seat has a chance of getting a smile and a wave. And being able to maintain that sort of direct connection with the fans, even as you're selling out 60,000 seat venues, is not something to be taken lightly. In 2010, RSG continued along with the dramas and variety shows, but their next big step was actually musical. Weird, huh? The last album of new material Arashi had released had been before the big boom, all the way back in 2008. An album called Dream A Live. It was good, but it was the kind of good that you enjoy really only if you're already a fan. The production values were on the cheaper side, and the songs still had that somewhat tacky aura of teen bubblegum to them. Now, after their 10th anniversary and reaching true national idol-level success, Arashi really began putting out quality albums, packed full of good songs, meant to be listened to as a whole. All killer, no filler. The first album of this new era was a two-disc monster called Boku no Miteru Keshiki, released August 8th, 2010. Um, in English, that would be the view I'm looking at. It was like a dam had been broken, and all of the creative energy Arashi had been saving up was unleashed at once. There isn't a single dud on either disc. Not just the legendary singles from this era, Troublemaker, Monster, but the album tracks are also fantastic. From the Slinky Circus, the Sentimental Ballad, Mukaini Ikuyoni. And we'll leave Arashi on pause here for the moment at the end of 2010 with an album track from Boku no Miteru Keshiki, the funky Let Me Down. A strong hint of the driving artistic force behind Arashi's sound moving on into the next decade. If you remember back to episode 5, you'll already be able to hear the difference between their earlier material. This is just an album track, but it's full of fun production tricks and sounds, and it's just good. The quality of the synth horns, the intricacy of the arrangement, the time taken with the vocals of the weaker singers, and this is just a random album track. But this is Arashi. They may not have written the song, but you can hear how invested they are in putting out a good product working under tight deadlines and even tighter budgets. Arashi had done the best they could before, but now, given the freedom to stretch their wings, they flew Do you remember 
On March 11, 2011, a massive tsunami and earthquake hit the northeastern coast of Japan, killing thousands and forcing the relocation of tens of thousands more. The disaster also knocked out one of the region's major nuclear power plants, plunging the nation into further crisis as electricity rationing went into place nationwide in the months that followed, as Japan tried to get a handle on the situation. With Japan traumatized, early 2011 was not the right time for Johnny's and Associates to be debuting a new group. But, well, the seven-member roller skating group, Kiss My Foot 2, yes, you heard me right, the seven-member roller skating group, named Kiss My Foot 2, had already waited years for the chance. But was a few months more in the grand scheme of things. Okay, so if you remember back in episode 5 when I talked about the boom in male idol groups in the early to mid-2000s. Well, okay. So after Tatoon's super extravagant debut in 2006, there was one more debut the following year, 10-member group of very young trainees called Heisei Jump, um, and then that was it. All debuts were put on pause. There were 11 working Johnny's groups, counting Shonen Tai, who were still putting on Playzone, their long-running annual musical. And a musical stage play may not seem like a big deal, especially to a Westerner or to somebody coming from the Korean Idol fandom. But musical stage plays are actually a pretty significant part of the Johnny's and Associates world. But because it's something you can really only 
only participate in if you're on the ground in Japan, and not much has been translated into English. It's an aspect of fandom that has remained almost invisible when Western experts, or experts in quotes, start talking out of their butts about J-pop. This is another topic I'd love to dig into on another episode because there are actually a bunch of annual musicals from the Johnny's and Associates production house. The tradition stretching all the way back to the Johnny's and the Four Leaves. And performing in these stage plays is a rite of passage for young trainees, and the trainees who shine on stage develop their own small but very loyal followings. So all through the 2000s, two of the trainee groups that were mainstays of both these stage productions and of the long-running junior performance program Shonen Club were the previously mentioned Kiss My Foot 2 and another group called ABCC. Together, they were known as Ebi Kisu. And they worked closely together even putting on a joint concert in 2008 in Yokohama Arena. But by the time 2011 rolled around, the oldest members of these groups would have been around 25-26, and some of these guys had been with Johnny's and Associates for over a decade. That is a long time to remain a trainee. When Heisei Jump debuted in 2007, with the members all significantly younger and less experienced than Ebi Kisu, it had been like a knife in their hearts. And then no debuts for the four years following? They've all spoken candidly about how difficult those years were. Waiting and hoping with no guarantees. Every day passing feeling like it was too late to do anything else with their lives. They were popular. They had fans. They sold tickets to stage plays, to concerts. Come on, what was the holdup? By 2011, the herd of 11 active groups had thinned somewhat as some of the older groups slowed down, and Cartoon and News were in the process of imploding. Plus, there was new competition from other agencies threatening on the horizon. It was time to show Japan, yet again, what the men of Johnny's and Associates were made of. Sparkly stage costumes, feathered hair, and sex appeal. It's February 12, 2011. We're at a Kiss My Foot 2 concert in the 13,000 capacity Yoyogi National Gymnasium. One of the back dancing juniors emerges from the wings with a brown envelope, hands it to the group's leader, Kitayama, who looks utterly baffled. The crowd goes silent as he fumbles with the paper, the rest of the group gathering around with concerned looks on their faces. And then, Nikaido explodes with a startled, eh? And the spell is broken. The rest of them stutter out expressions of shock and happiness, a few collapsing in a big group hug, Kitayama taking off on a victory lap down the center stage and back. The crowd erupts. Kiss My Foot 2? We're going to debut. And after a few months' delay due to the earthquake, Kiss My Foot 2 debuted on August 10th, 2011, with a peppy Jock Jamsy song titled Everybody Go. We're this generation's champions. We're number one. Everybody go. I got to go, go. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
ABCZ were devastated by the news of Kiss My Foot 2's debut. Not knowing what else to do, ABCZ member Totsuka Shota shaved his head and almost quit the group and show business forever. Watching them perform on Shonen Club during this era was rough. Totsuka's anger, the other members' despair, just radiating off the screen. But ABCZ held on. Then a second group debuted in November of 2011, the shadily named Sexy Zone, whose members had an average age of about 14. ABCZ held on. And then finally, finally, on February 12th, 2012, ABCZ would make their debut with a DVD single titled Za ABC 5 Stars, which is a pun in Japanese. It's not worth going into. So while ABCZ and their fans were frustrated and upset that Kiss My Foot 2 got a splashy major label debut and all the hoopla that came with it, while ABCZ were going to have a weird DVD debut, whatever that was, the old Kiss My Foot 2 fans weren't too happy about how their group's debut went either. The Ebi Kisses saga is of two very different ways to be an idol group in the 2010s and beyond. They both started out at about equal popularity of longtime fans, but ABCZ has been forced to grow their fan base slowly, organically, working their butts off in stage plays and weird late night dramas about virgin superheroes, sort of under the radar of mass popular culture. Kiss My Foot 2, on the other hand, was given something of a marketing steroid injection. A decision was made to take the three cutest members, put them up front, give them all the singing lines and all the attention. The other four members were suddenly thrust into the position of backing dancers in their very own group. New fans brought in by the marketing, 
and by member Tamamori, objectively the cutest's drama work, were overwhelmingly a fan of one of these front three. Older fans who had been around for years, especially fans of the four who found themselves pushed to the back, were furious. The fan base had grown exponentially, but at what cost to the group, and to the fans, themselves. I find this contrast fascinating, and not just because ABCZ is my favorite group. Although they started from a similar place, over the last six years, Kiss My Foot 2 has had the best-selling singles, the advertising contracts, and the concerts at Tokyo Dome, but they're also dogged by rumors of the group members not getting along and are completely lacking a unified group or artistic image other than the candy and sweets themes one imposed upon them by their marketing contracts. No, really, their tour titles read like an ice cream menu. ABCZ has had low, but steady record sales, no advertising contracts, and would only be able to fill Tokyo Dome if every single member of their fan club brought along a couple of friends to the concert. But their fan base has been growing slowly every year. They work well as a group, and they've settled on sort of a fascination with retro Japanese show business as an overarching theme for their activities. ABCZ has come to terms with who they are, and they're continuing as a group because they want to continue working as a group. If they ever did get a sudden boom in popularity because of a member's drama work, like Arashi did, I think they would be in a good place to weather it well. I don't think Kiss My Foot 2 is going to weather the inevitable decline with any sort of grace. The cracks are already there. I'll touch on ABCZ again in another episode when I talk about Sexy Zone, but for now, I'll send them off with a song called Hara Hara Hira Furu. From their latest album as of this recording, the album managed to get to number 4 on the Oricon chart behind two super popular Korean groups, SM Entertainment's NCT127 and another group you may have heard of called BTS. Every ABCZ album will have a couple of real bangers because ABCZ remain a performance-focused unit and they need good songs for dancing. But every album also contains a fair number of songs that are just good tunes by good Japanese songwriters. Hara Hara Hira Furu was written by a talented Japanese singer-songwriter duo called Tommy and Sammy. They're a male-female duo and they specialize in these sort of big, breezy, nostalgic-feeling songs. And the chorus goes like this. The hand I'm waving flutters as the evening sun sinks. Our tomorrow is wrapped up and given to me. And there's this wonderful swirly pen light choreography that goes with it, where you raise the hand holding your pen light up high and sort of trace these ascending curls in time with the beat. But you need to time it perfectly so that when you hit the four, you go right into waving your arm left to right without pausing. It's really, really fun.
beginning of 2012. Three new Donnie's and Associates groups have debuted. Arashi had the best-selling album of the year with the absolutely lovely Beautiful World. And Kiss My Foot 2 had the number 10 best-selling single with Jock Jam, Everybody Go. The rest of the chart dominated by an explosion of girl groups, both domestic and foreign, that really, really started to pick up in 2010 with Akimoto Yasushi's AKB48 who were selling millions of singles. Millions. I won't get too in-depth with AKB48, because this is not a girl group podcast, but it's worth being aware of their business model which must make SM Entertainment beyond jealous. Essentially, AKB48's appeal as an idol group is that of a no-holds-barred popularity contest. Girls aren't judged on singing or dancing, which remains consistently and astonishingly mediocre no matter who is in the group, but in personality. Fans will bulk purchase singles in order to support their favorite member, sometimes hundreds of copies, which then go straight into the garbage and there are always scolding news stories about AKB48 fans illegally dumping crates of unopened CDs after a new single comes out. Girls cycle out when they get too old, and new girls cycle in. If you like high-stakes catfight drama, faux innocent suggestive costuming and lyrics, and a fandom full of men willing to pay thousands of dollars to shake the hand of a 15-year-old girl, well then do I have the girl group for you. AKB48 are known nationally, but they're not national idols in the way SMAP and Arashi are. And with the exception of a handful of songs and one or two faces, as a group they're mostly known for their proportionately small fanbase that has managed to bulk purchase millions of singles every year since 2010 also saw Korean girl groups Kara from DSP and SM Entertainment's Girls' Generation, also known as Shoujo Jidai in Japanese, make a splash on the Japanese market. Kara went viral with their infamous butt dance choreography in the song Mr., released in August of 2010, and Girls' Generation had a breakthrough hit just a few weeks later with a song called Genie in September of 2010. All of these girl groups continued having success through 2011, with only Arashi able to approach the kinds of sales AKB48 was generating. 2012 is going to be wild, but before we dip a toe into the exciting pop music that's to come, I can't leave 2011 without telling the story of one of the most unusual male idol groups you are likely to come across in any country, in any era. 
That's right. I'm talking about Golden Bomber. So the song playing in the background is called Memishkete, which translates to something like effeminate, or more colloquially, something like being a pussy. Originally released back in 2009 on a small independent label. Over the next two years, the song became a viral hit in karaoke rooms across the nation. Mimishkite was the number one karaoke song in Japan for a record-breaking 50 weeks. 50 weeks. And it remains in the top karaoke song rankings year after year. BTS has been breaking records, but they're not breaking records like that. America's underground hits come from the strip clubs. Japan, they come from the karaoke rooms. Golden Bomber are a household name and the weirdest male idol group you'll ever come across. When they're asked to explain themselves, they say that they're an air band, as in they stand on stage and mime playing instruments. It always gets a laugh, but the truth is a bit more complicated. Okay, so yeah, the group dresses in exaggerated Visual K-inspired stage costumes and makeup and literally mime along to songs coming out of an iPod. But Golden Bomber have managed to stick around for almost a decade because they're something far, 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 far more than just an air band. They're an idol group. And they also happen to have incredible songs and a bottomless appetite for performance. Golden Bomber are somewhat censored for television, but a live concert includes over-the-top homoerotic skits, turning the popular subtext of shipping, in which fans read a romantic element into group members' friendships, into text. It's something that most idol groups will hint at to some extent, because fans love it, but Golden Bomber just put it right there in the text. There's also complicated stagecraft, usually facilitated by guitarist Kyan Yutaka, who has actually arc welded on stage, you know, just you know, casually as a bit, and plenty of fan choreography and participation led by secret weapon slash bass player Utahiro Bajun. And having the good luck to have been able to see Golden Bomber live in concert, from the goods designs to cosplaying fangirls to the letterboxes for fans to leave their fan mail, I can say with authority that Golden Bomber are an idol group in everything but name. So the members are short, big-headed, big-mouthed Kiryu and Sho, who is the vocalist and songwriter who actually does sing live. Petit Kyan Yutaka on guitar and prop master. Marble-mouthed Utahiraba Jun, who uses yarn to string his bass. And Utahiraba is an admitted fan of Johnny's and Associates, and especially of Arashi's Matsumoto Jun, as well as of many other things I love, such as the all-female Takarazuka theater troupe, and of Korean group Shiny, who I will get to in a later episode, because I also love them. And finally, there is Darvish Kenji, drums and visual, and he's also in charge of the iPod that plays the songs over the speaker system. 
Darvish is the face of the group, literally, in that he paints his face in kabuki-style makeup for every public appearance. He's also extremely fit and is more than happy to show off his bod at every opportunity, whether it's by participating in Sasuke, aka Ninja Warrior, which ABCZ's Suka-chan also does, or just stripping down to a tiny speedo on live television. You know, for the laughs. And as an aside, ABCZ and Golden Bomber get along quite well, with ABCZ even covering Meme on television once. So Golden Bomber began life back in 2005 as a collaboration between high school friends Kiryuin, who loved music, and Kyan, who was too lazy to learn how to play guitar with any degree of competence. The duo added a drummer and built up a little following among the college crowd with their weird comedic performance art and excellent songs. Utehiro Bajun was a fan before he worked up the courage to apply for the position of bassist in 2007, and after cycling through a few drummers, Darvish and his face paint joined in 2009. And what I love about Golden Bomber is that they unironically love the same sort of earnest camp pop culture that I do, and they work to recreate it through their own weird filter, sort of like John Waters does in his films. This may be outside the realm of references for people listening, but Golden Bomber remind me of John Waters' classic film Polyester, if polyester was an idol group. Parody and pastiche all filtered through a loving outsider lens. Golden Bomber would have their first big break in 2010 when a series of ridiculous short skits went viral on the Japanese-only streaming site Niko Niko Doga. Called the Gachupin Challenge Series, and it was a parody of the type of thing long-running children's character Gachapin, a green dinosaur, does. Uh, the series... <laughs> The series starred a green bodysuited Kyan as Gachupin, doing things like playing basketball against kids, and were narrated by Kyan using a really dumb voice. I'll link to them in the show notes, although I couldn't find any with English subtitles. So the Gachupin Challenge series is exactly the kind of content that does not export well. It assumes shared cultural knowledge of the audience. You have to know who Gachapin is. You have to know about Gachapin's challenge series. And that kind of knowledge is just, it's very localized. Let alone that it was on Nico Nico Doga, not YouTube. And by the end of 2010, Golden Bomber had major labels begging to sign them on. They said no, preferring to maintain financial and artistic control of their content. And then on August 24th, 2011, Golden Bomber, the weirdo low-budget airband, re-released Memeshkete and actually managed to get to number four on the Oricon charts that week against some pretty big competition, even beating Kiss My Foot 2's debut single Everybody Go, which had been holding pretty strong. Golden Bomber is the music of neighborhood yakitori restaurants and low-rent towny festivals. Cheap beer, food on sticks, and dancing tipsy with your friends in a tacky summer yukata and dollar store accessories. Music of smoky karaoke rooms at 3 a.m. And I absolutely adore them. Golden Bomber haven't managed another Mimishkute, but they have done just fine for themselves in the years that followed, maintaining a pretty steady popularity and putting out great music. And they also proved a few things. One is that you don't need to be part of Johnny's and Associates to make it big as a male idol group if you have the product to back it up. Hell, you don't even have to be good looking if you're putting out the stuff that fangirls want. What Golden Bomber have to offer is something specifically Japanese. 
drawing from a shared cultural knowledge and a shared musical knowledge. They even had a single last year called Yan Ya Ya Yan Night. had a separate version for every single prefecture. That prefecture's name in the title of the CD. I mean, come on. Do you even know how many prefectures there are? 47. They put out 47 localized versions of the CD. 47. For the live performance on Music Station on November 10th, 2017, on which Arashi also happened to appear, uh, Golden Bomber had representatives from each of the prefectures waltz through their performance to showcase a regional specialty. This is exactly the kind of thing that groups making music for export simply cannot do. But it is something we see more and more of from Japan, especially after the 2011 disaster. As K-pop spreads further and further around the region, Japan turned inwards. And it's not that there's no interest in exporting their music. Veteran girl group Perfume is still pretty popular around Asia. But outside the odd jaunt to Taiwan or Singapore, Japanese idol acts, especially Johnny's and Associates, are more than content to stay and make music in Japan that references Japanese things for Japanese audiences. And they make good money doing so. If outsiders like it, cool. But you are going to have to learn Japanese to do so. There's no subtitles in English, or Chinese, or Korean on the DVDs. The programming and music videos are not made available on international streaming sites like YouTube. And you must reside in Japan with a Japanese bank card to be able to join the fan club. And the music, unavailable for purchase on iTunes. Unavailable to stream on Spotify, or anywhere else. They also have no interest in our Western debates on cultural appropriation or in apologizing if Westerners are offended by anything they do. Because when it comes right down to it, Japan doesn't care. Why should they? Their record industry is doing far better than anybody else's at the moment, with Japan becoming the largest music market for physical media in the world just a few years ago. So it's no coincidence that Arashi's best-selling album of their second decade was called Japonism. Uh, nor that Taki and Tsubasa's Taki has had a lot of success with his annual Neo Kabuki review and is continuing that Neo Kabuki theme with his uh, venture into producing with the junior group Stones, who just put out a new single called Japonica Style. The cost of entry to J-pop is very high for the foreigner. I've fallen in love with it, but I also love a challenge. Korean groups, as we'll see in the next episode, ran as fast as they could in the other direction towards international accessibility. But for now, let's close out this chapter in idol group history with one of my all-time favorite Golden Bomber songs, the beautiful 12-8 ballad called Nay. And I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye for now. <laughs> Kagiokaketeshimateru.
Ah.、Uh-huh. 